always soccer in Philadelphia on a Friday, starting you off with some Rammstein there. I felt like I needed to get some German music uh, for the new German sporting director, Ernst Tanner. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open Cup semifinal triumph. Philadelphia Union, 90 minutes away from the CONCACAF Champions League. We're going to talk about that with sports doctor MD Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times joining us from uh, wherever he is right now. What's up, my man? What's going on, Kevin? How are you? Good. Is it PIAA o'clock right now? Uh, usually it's football. It's football season, as, as you can tell by the fact that it's still 95 degrees outside. Yeah, and I did yeah. I did three stories this morning on preseason NFL games, so I, I wanted to make sure I got all of my uh, my union tweets in like during this past week because it's just going to be uh, you know Dallas Goddard and Carson Wentz and Nick Foles and Saquon Barkley and all that all that assorted stuff for the next you know until March, right? Yeah, until yeah, well until March, and then you get a week off, and then it's draft time. So yeah. <laughs> That's right. So anyway, I don't really, I didn't write anything down because I literally just hit publish on something else. So I'm going to give you the floor, actually. You and uh, Jonathan Tannenwald uh, were sort of like the one-two punch yesterday during the uh, the Tanner introductory press conference, which featured some really good questions to Jay about the budget and whether this guy's going to have any money to spend or whatever. So where do you want to start? Why don't you just start me off with your takeaway from all that? Yeah, so I think we should start with Ernst Tanner. Um you know, I think he's an interesting hire. He's not a guy that a lot of fans are going to say, wow, you know, look at this name that the union landed. He doesn't have a, a, a ton of shock value. It's not, you know, you're not bringing in Antonio Conte as your as your sporting director or anything like that. But you're bringing in a guy with a solid reputation of uh, developmental soccer. And that's what's really important. In a lot of ways, he's similar to Ernie Stewart. In some of the places he's been and the way that he thinks about the game, I think. Um, you know, he comes from a smaller league, from a feeder league, and in the MLS kind of universe, the Union are a smaller club. They're going to be a feeder club eventually to Europe, they hope. And I think Ernst Tanner is the kind of guy who can kind of take the plan to the next level. You know, Ernie Stewart was the one that had to make sure that kids that were coming out of the academy and were talented. We're getting chances at Bethlehem Steel. We're getting chances to be on the union and then getting minutes for the union. Ernst Tanner is going to continue that, but then also take that next step of how do the union not mess it up in two years if a European club wants to spend $5 million on Austin Trustee or Mark McKenzie or Anthony Fontana. That's the next step. And Ernst Tanner, with his experience at some smaller German clubs like Hoffenheim and 1860 Munich, and in a smaller league in Austria with Red Bull Salzburg, he's done a lot of that. So he's going to kind of take that next step on the developmental side. Hopefully he's going to be a little bit better than Ernie Stewart when it comes time to bringing in first-teamers. He's got a long track record of guys that not just develop, uh, in the systems that he oversaw, but also finding guys. He's done a great job with a lot of players that have African roots, guys like Sadio Mane. Um, he's done a great job in South America. Roberto Firmino is a, is one of the guys that um, he helped bring into Hoffenheim um, out of Brazil. So he's got a good track record, and he's maybe not flashy, which from the union's perspective means that he probably came a little cheaper than a, 
a more expensive name, but he ticks a lot of the boxes that Jay Sugarman put forth and that Ernie Stewart really kind of uh, articulated in his two and a half years with the union. Yeah, you know, when they made the hire or when the uh, announcement came out, when the story came out, uh, I kept I kept like going back and forth. You know, it was strange. At, at first, I'm sitting here thinking Red Bull, you know, great organization. Uh, they got their stuff buttoned up. They know how to promote youth. You know, they have a, a, a culture there. They know what they're doing. I'm like, OK, that makes a lot of sense. This is very on brand. This is very consistent with what the union are trying to do. Right. And then I, I flip my head to the other way. It's like I'm watching a tennis match. I'm watching the ball going back and forth. And on the other side of the court, I'm thinking, well, wait, this guy's a youth you know, director. He hasn't really had any senior team uh, involvement going back to his Hoffenheim days. But then I flip my head back to the other side of the tennis court. When I look at the list of guys that he brought in at Hoffenheim, assuming that he was the one making these decisions, you know, you're looking at Ryan Babel and Gilfie Sigurdsson and Firmino and Sebastian Rudy and – Kevin Volland and, and a number of Americans who were involved in that too. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I just don't know. Um, he didn't really have that many long answers yesterday. It's kind of shorter stuff, I guess, but I mean, on paper, it looks like it checks out, doesn't it? Yeah. He's, I, I think that's, I think that's just a character trait of his. He seems to be a very soft-spoken guy. Um, I, and I'm sure he's, I, I can tell you that he opened up a little bit more away from cameras, whether it was, um, uh, kind of with some of the reporters or stuff like that. Um, I think he's gonna. There's gonna be some things published on MLS Soccer where uh, he sat down with Bobby Warshaw, and I, I haven't had a chance to listen to any of that. But I'm sure you know Bobby always goes in depth with uh, his interviews, yeah. and I think that probably suits him a little bit. Did you um, think that? Did you think that maybe you know because some of the foreign guys that come over here they speak decent English, but sometimes they don't want to be like they're not comfortable being quoted fully in the language yet. Like right. Vince Nogueira spoke actually pretty good English, but it took him a while before he got comfortable doing it. Did you get that the sense with Ernst at all? I don't know. I think he's probably. I, I don't. I don't get him as being a very big talker one way or the other. Yeah. Um. I got him to open up a little bit about some of the. You know, we talked a little bit of formations and stuff. And, one of the things that was um, that I wanted to uh, kind of talk to him about, and this was, um, I think, in the story I wrote for the Delco Times yesterday. I wrote so many, they get a little kind of confused in my mind. But, you know, talking about formationally, because one of the big things with Ernie Stewart was, you know, we're a 4 2 3 1 team, and our academy are 4 1 2 3 1 teams, and steel and stuff like that. And I kind of cornered him, I cornered corner Tanner on that and he was a he didn't want to commit to a formation or even really commit to the idea of a formation um he was more about you know it's about the philosophy that we want to have and the way that we want to play and I think that it's kind of the Red Bull ethos you know they've Red Bull Salzburg and and Leipzig and you know the Red Bulls have done this successfully too here in in New York they kind of play a four-two-two-two, and it's not so much about where they necessarily line up, but the way that they decide to play. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the, the pressing dynamics, the way that they're able to cover for each other and move and stay compact and and attack in mass and then retreat in mass. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a change, but that's one of those examples of you know, maybe some different thinking from him, but also be able to kind of get him to 
open up a little bit. It, it's tough because he's in a situation where he's still not taking over for at least another six weeks. And I don't get the impression that Ernst Tanner is the kind of guy who would come in and say, well, this is the way that they're going to play at this early juncture without knowing the pieces or without knowing uh, a lot more about the organization. Yeah, that makes sense. And you know, it's interesting because the Union and Red Bull – you know, over the last couple of years do have some similarities. New York, that is. I mean, obviously, Bradley Wright Phillips is a different kind of player than C.J. Sapong is. But, you know, Jim is, has believed in a lot of those principles of, you know, group pressing and, uh, you know, getting up the field and winning the ball in specific areas. I think that was a kind of a global trend in soccer anyway. You know, Jurgen Klopp and Barcelona and all those teams, that was kind of the fancy thing, just try to high press and counter press and get the ball and win the ball and, you have good starting positions, but it, it does make it interesting because did he get into it or did you guys ask him at all about the Red Bull connection with Jesse Marsh or, or whether he had contact with the American side of the Red the Red Bull system? Yeah, I think that came up a little bit. Um, I think uh, Jonathan Tannenwald asked a question about that, and I think part of the familiarity that Tanner has is because of the Red Bull. So he's been to the United States on a number of occasions. He's actually spoken. Uh, he, he knows Richie Graham, the union's minority owner, pretty well. He's actually spoken at YSC. Uh, and I believe Jim Curtin was uh, mentioned to, to Dave Zeitlin um, for the story that we put together for the uh, Athletic this morning, uh, that Jim Curtin not only met Ernst Tanner in 2000, uh, 2012 when he came over before, um, before Jim had even started coaching with the first team and was still with the academy. And then at that point, uh, he had gone over to Hoffenheim while Tanner was still at Hoffenheim. Uh, that was the year before they loaned Zach Pfeffer uh, over to Hoffenheim's youth team. Yeah, Remember, right. I think that was 2013 that that loan happened. Yeah. So there are connections there, and I think that the Red Bull connection is important to that in that you know MLS has been on his radar. Um I think the Red Bull parallels are really interesting, and I think that they're interesting not just for the on-field models, but also for the economic model. And uh, Jonathan Tannewald and I talked to Jay Sugarman a little bit about this, but if you look at what Red Bulls have done and the way that they've built that team, not, you know, tactics aside, they're at a point where they're starting five or six homegrown guys. They've got a couple of TAM players in Royer and and. You know, Bradley Wright Phillips is a TAM borderline GP. Yeah. And then they target their investment in one guy in Kaku, who they pay a lot of money for, but under the guise of, we're paying this money because this guy's going to make everyone better. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've also done savvy business deals, whether it was, you know, getting value back from um, Ambrose Ayongo or, um, you know, some of these other guys that they have on the back line are guys that, you know, foreign teams want to spend money on now yeah it's been yeah. like you know how many times kamar lawrence has been linked to clubs and stuff like that well even going back to, to like even going back to miazga and uh tim ream and stuff like that you know exactly and they're doing it with you know they're doing it with tyler adams now um and you know that's that's an important part of the business model that i i don't know that it's changing that the union you know it's not that the union have to change to accommodate that but it's now maturing. At one point, they had to change because I can remember conversations with Nick Sakevich of you know bringing up the idea of homegrown talent and asking you know is the ultimate goal to be a feeder club who then sells it and him recoiling in horror of like no why would we why would we sell players they're going to play here forever 
you know, they've, Ernie Stewart has done that process of changing that mentality and modernizing it. Yeah. Now Ernst Tanner comes in and just helps it mature and lets it, you know, the prospects have to grow to that point and then execute once he gets to that point. All right, so let's talk about Sugarman then. Um, you know, I guess what I would say is that I, I appreciate Jay being honest about the financial situation. Like, look, you know, we, we, we're not going to spend the same kind of money as Atlanta and Toronto and whatever. But, um, you know, that's why I, I, I typed out that whole long quote yesterday and then tried to attribute it to other owners. Because if you're, you're going to sit up there and admit that you really can't compete with other teams, you have to find other ways to do it. Then the fact of the matter is you shouldn't be the owner of a, of a major sports team. You know, I mean, that's all it really comes down to. Let me read this quote that I transcribed yesterday. It's the one long meandering one, but I did like half of it, the relevant part. I'm going to read it just so the listeners can like steam over it again. And then I want you to react to it, hearing it back a second time. All right. I'll make, I'll make musket sounds in the background. Okay. Maybe I can jump. It's the musket quote. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You ready? Muskets. Jay Sugarman, it's the same issue we've had over the past couple of years. You have new teams entering the league with 30, 40, 50,000 seat stadiums, and they have certain strengths that we should try not to compete with. I always talk about this Waterloo example of we should not line up with our muskets and our men against their muskets and their men and see who wins. If you play on their terms, you're going to have a hard time beating them. We have to find ways to play that are unexpected by them or aren't trained by or put them at some level of unease. And then our qualities, our skills, our specialties will stand out, and that's how you win in lots of different fields of life. And it's particularly interesting to me in sport. Uh, We've seen lots of examples of it, but you can't just go out and line up and play the exact same game and hope to win. Someone who's got a much bigger economic model, and I love having 18,000 intimate seats here on the water, uh, I think we have a unique opportunity to build something that can compete with those clubs. But it's not going to be the same thing. We're not going to line up with them person by person and say we can out-talent them. But a lot of what Ernst has proven is that there are ways to get ahead and outperform those teams. But it does usually require you to take a slightly different approach using all of your skills, using all the different ways to put the field slightly tilted in your favor. I think one of the misconceptions is we're never going to line up and go head-to-head with teams that have two, three, four times the revenue model we do. That's suicide. It won't work. What we need to be is really good at everything we can control and then bring something special that lets our strengths shine. So, you know, I've said my piece. What do you think? So I wrote, I wrote my piece um, in about, uh, about 1,500 words. That'll be, we're recording this in Friday afternoon. It'll be dropping on The Athletic um, a little later Friday afternoon. So this will be, consider this the teaser. Okay. Um, here's, here's the, there's a couple problems there. First of all, and this is the gist of the follow-up question that I asked, is that there have been many times in the past where the union haven't had muskets at all, if we're going to continue this metaphor. <laughs> They've been kind of sent out there with, like, squirt guns. And Yeah, like a bl- uh, they've been know, sent out there with, like, a, a blunderbuss from 200 years earlier in the, in the 1400s, you know? I think that might. Do, I think we've just named the the podcast. I think I think <laughs> this is the blunderbuss episode now. Um, but and and then the flip, the other thing is is that at the end of the day, the entire purpose of this exercise that we comment on and what pay money to watch is that you do have to line up against that other team and figure out a way to beat them person to person. I am torn in the way that Jay Sugarman kind of. Spoke yesterday. 
And I think because he doesn't speak very often, a lot of times fans want to fill the dead air for him and ascribe certain beliefs and perceptions to him. He is com- he, he says that he's committed to winning. And I believe from a lot of non-financial uh, metrics, he is committed. I mean, he's engaged. He's interested. He's not an absentee owner or someone who's just making money blindly on this and not paying any attention to it. He's interested. He's constantly engaged in dialogue. He's constantly engaged in trying to think through some different ways to compete. But at the same time, so is every other club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if I, you know, one of the things that Jay talks about a lot is, you know, he wants his team to be one of the best one, uh, one of the best teams in MLS on set pieces. Every coach in the league wants their team to be the best on set pieces. Every team is drilling. I would imagine 10 minutes to a half hour at the end of a training session, at least once a week on set pieces. And if they're not, the coach that's doing that is not going to be the coach there very long. So it's, it seems a little almost absurdly hopeful to think that of all the people that are trying to hack this game of soccer, that the great innovation that is going to make up for not spending is going to come from the Philadelphia Union. It just seems oddly optimistic. And even if it is going to come from them, it still doesn't mean that there's not a base level of economic input that you have to put in. And I don't think they're at that level right now. They don't have the squad depth. They don't have the high end. uh, Even if you're not spending $10 million on a player, they don't have the high end spending yet to get there. And Jay has said time and time again that when the infrastructure is right, when the player is right, when the opportunity is right, the money will be there. And they did have to upgrade a lot of other things, whether it was creating a better, you know, better facilities or not having to go to Chester Park or making sure that, you know, you, you weren't losing uh, homegrown claims on talents like Keegan Rosenberry because you didn't have the, the pathway to pro pipeline. They've shored that up, and now they're in a better position in the next year or two to spend that money and to really get the benefit out of that money. But they still have to spend that money at some point. Yeah. And the skepticism about whether or not that money is going to be spent is understandable and I think justified. And the problem is is that in two years when they're ready to spend that money, every team's going to have a $5 million player. Well, or yeah, because they're not. Because it's, it's, it's like so. A million dollar player. You got you got better, but everybody else got better too. I mean, that's always been exactly. the thing. Like the tw- the twenty eighteen Union are certainly better than the twenty sixteen Union, but the twenty eighteen Houston Dynamo are also better than the twenty sixteen Houston Dynamo. You know, when you when you put it on a bell curve, uh, the Union are are not moving congruently with everybody. With every, it, it's congruent along the bell curve, but everybody's moving at, at the same speed is the union so if you were better if a better starting point than the union you're going to be in a better finishing point uh to where we are right now you know i i i I have no doubt that this 2018 team that they've built yeah would have made the playoffs last year 
Yeah, I agree. I don't know if they're gonna. I don't know if they're gonna make the playoffs this year, but I know that they would have made it last year. But that doesn't really help anybody. Right, right, right. Well, and I appreciate what Jay is saying about looking for innovation and looking for other ways to do it. But soccer is not, you know, real life, and it's not the same as other sports as well. You know, for the most part, soccer is soccer. It's cyclical. It's not necessarily innovative, but it's cyclical. Like, for example, you see England go out and play three at the back, and Chile go out and play three at the back. Jose Mourinho had some success just parking the bus and, and dropping eight guys into defense. You know, so you see different strategies and different formations and stuff kind of cycle through. But soccer is not like the, the NFL or college football where all of a sudden, you know, Chip Kelly and Hal Mummy come out and they're spreading the ball all over the field. And you're like, what the fuck is this shotgun spread offense RPO stuff, you know? Or the Golden State Warriors come out and they just start chucking up three-pointers and you're using data and analytics to show that taking a a 20-foot two-pointer is stupid, you know? I mean, like, other sports have more of that wiggle room to exploit and whatever. Elon Musk, if he doesn't like the uh, submarine that also has wheels and can climb mountains, you know, he can make a better submarine that has wheels and climbs mountains. You know what I mean? But, but soccer is soccer for the most part. I mean, it's still 11 guys going out on the field and trying to out-talent each other. I mean, it's harder. It's just silly to me because it's harder to find those exploitations in this game, you know? This is the first part. I'm pretty sure this is the first podcast, maybe in history, that has ever mentioned Elon Musk and Hal Mummy. So... <laughs> In the if, same while park, we're, in while the we're same talking p- about innovation, I mean, that's some innovation. I know, hey, Chip you're, Kelly, you're, Hal Mummy, right, I mean, Elon Musk, Alex, Alexander Graham Bell, Ahoy Hoy. You know, we're just naming them, uh, we're just ripping them all off today, you know? Absolutely. But, I mean, you're, you're right. And soccer has been, you know, the, the structure of soccer has been this way for a very long time. And it's predicated on the fact that goals in soccer are rare and everyone's trying to score more goals. And because you don't have as much, you know, the games are the games are more marginal. There's I don't I don't know that there's some equivalent of the, you know, Billy Bean emphasis on on base percentage for interest for instance in baseball. I don't know that soccer has an equivalent of that. I and mean, you can you can yeah. gain possessions and you know, Jay Sugarman for instance yesterday talked about how the union have tried to be better on um, on throw-ins, which is causing you know, which means that they're generating more possessions per game, and as a result, more chances. But at the end of the day, you know, quality is quality, and quality is expensive because quality turns into goals, and there's really no getting around that. Now he did have some, I think, more. Tangible examples, one of the things he mentioned um, in a quote, I think following the one that you read, was talking to Ernst Tanner about the way that Red Bull Salzburg was able to kind of press and the way, the the cohesiveness and the way that that's drilled in. Um, You know, the way that they can press as a unit and retreat as a unit and move and still stay compact and stuff like that. That's something that can be taught, but at the same time, that's not that's not going to turn CJ Sapong into Joseph Martinez. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, correct. That's yeah. That's just not going to happen. I mean, that could turn, you know, that could turn CJ Sapong into the best version of CJ Sapong or help CJ Sapong be 2017 CJ Sapong as opposed to 2018 CJ Sapong. 
but there's a certain level that, you know, you're just not going to consistently make that up. And it's one thing to do that in Europe where, you know, I, I had this conversation with Ernie Stewart before he left about kind of the expectations. And, you know, Ernie Stewart and Ernst Tanner, too, they come from a environment in Europe where, let's be honest, any given year, with the exception of Leicester, there are maybe six teams that can win a given league. Yeah, which I've ran, have, I've ran it about. Don't have an MLS. Yeah, 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 yeah. And with opportunity comes expectation, and with with expectation comes the possibility to disappoint, as the union well know. So you know you can't you can't get away with that as much and just say, oh well, look at them, they're they're eight times bigger than us. What are we to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting stuff. I don't, um, you know, obviously I'm interested to see how Ernst Tanner does, but, but like I said, you know, it's like in the NFL, you know, the wildcat comes and goes, the Eagles sprinkled in some RPO, um, you know, did some different things with analytics were very aggressive on, on fourth downs for, for instance. Right. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think everybody knew that the reason the Patriots and the Eagles were in the Super Bowl is because Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time. Number one. Uh, and number two, the Eagles had a ridiculous defense and just studs on the defensive line and good coaching, you know. So you can try to they do had, it. They had the most talented roster in, uh, I think, in the NFC last year and probably yeah. in the league. They yeah. were a much deeper roster than the Patriots, and that comes as a result of money spent smartly but still spent. Yeah, and making the right decisions in the draft and player acquisition and stuff like that, which is why I've said like a million times on this podcast, I need to find a new example, but you can go to the best teams in the world, um, and none of them were built solely on just homegrown players. You know, it's like that Red Bull model you mentioned where you still have to go out and get Bradley Wright Phillips, or you got to go out and get Kaku, you know? So I think the union understand that. I'm glad they have the foundation in place and understand their processes and blah, blah, bullshit or whatever, but... You know, now it's it's time to turn that into something. And, you know, like I said, I, I, I'll end it with this. So that, you know, I appreciate Jay just telling it how it is, you know. But, again, you put those words in the mouth of Jeffrey Lurie or John Middleton or Arthur Blank or uh, somebody like that. And, you know, the WIP, WIP would be getting so many calls that the phone would just blow – it would blow up, you know. Like it would just spontaneously combust and, and set on fire, you know. So, you know, it's it's just – I don't know. I guess it is what it is. I, I've always felt like that once expansion ends, Jay will probably look to sell. Um, but, you know, his investment continues to grow just by the virtue of other teams coming into coming into the league, you know? Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I think that they are positioning themselves well so that when they do spend, it's going to be for maximal impact. But until they really spend on a consistent basis and then, and then until they start a directing those funds away from a, a now well-established academy towards the first team and until they start um, recouping funds from those players that are then going to be either reinvested in the academy so that other resources can go to the first team then you know, it's still a question of, I think for a lot of people, it's still a question of if rather than when. Okay, so let me ask you one more question because we spent 27 and a half minutes talking about all this shit and we didn't even mention <laughs> the fact that they're going to another U.S. Open Cup final, which tells you everything you need to know about yesterday's press conference because, of course, we buried the amazing news with some Sugarman bullshit. But um, 
I was down there for the first time this year on Wednesday. Got to see everybody again. Uh, Union looked pretty good. Alejandro Bedoya looked pretty damn good. Um, what'd you think? And, and can they beat Houston in Houston? I mean, I, I, I think they have a better chance of beating Houston than they do of, uh, of beating LA state. Yeah. Uh, at least certainly on the road. I think Houston's probably a little stung still, uh, from the way that that MLS game went with the phantom red card to Thomas Martinez. Yeah. It's a bad one. I, I think, you know, I think, LAFC is a better and more dangerous team than Houston is. So the Union luck out a little bit on that. And, you know, winning a cup final on the road is going to be difficult. It's just the way that it is. And whether you were the Union and their road struggles or any team, it's going to be difficult to win games on the road in that kind of situation. But they're in a final. And, you know, you never know what can happen in a final like that. They've played some good soccer away from home. And, you know, they're playing, I think, they're playing pretty well right now. We'll see if they have enough gas left in the tank to kind of take care of business and end up in the playoffs. But I think they're going to put a lot of resources towards this Open Cup final and trying to get a trophy. Well, if anything, it keeps me interested enough to keep doing more podcasts throughout the summer, and I haven't completely fallen off the face of the earth. Matt George from the Delco Times uh, and The Athletic as well. Uh, go read The Athletic. Matt's doing some great work alongside another guy who sometimes does his podcast with me. Um, they're both doing really good stuff at The, at the Athletic. Um, his story on Sugar Mang and uh, Ernst will drop uh, later today, or maybe it already dropped if you're listening to this uh, on Friday night or Saturday. Matt, thanks, man. It was good seeing you the other day, and uh, we'll do it again, all right? Appreciate it. Thanks, Kev. All right, man. Have fun at uh, PIAA everything, all right? I will try. <laughs> All right, peace. All right, it's now time for your questions, your comments, uh, and your concerns. Baxter's joined uh, the podcast. He just walked into the room a short time ago. Um, before uh, that, though, I want to give a shout-out to Alejandro Bedoya, who played a hell of a game the other night. Uh, that first pass on the, ga- on the game-winning goal was just phenomenal. And, um, you know, I went on Twitter afterwards and said, I hope that people can appreciate how difficult that is to <laughs> not only first for him to just, you know, have the wherewithal to, you know, to, to hold that ball up and take another touch to play the one, two and, and just chip that ball first time. I mean, because he's got such a small area of the field to work with that uh, on a first touch like that, if he hits it one yard further or to the left or right, the goalkeeper's probably grabbing or it's going out of bounds. If he, if he hits it too far to the right, Corey Burke, uh, doesn't have the angle to bring that down um, and take the shot. And if you see, if you see if you go back and watch the replay, you see Bedoya kind of skip and hop <laughs> after after he makes that pass because he's like shit. But you better you better score after I, after I play this pass, you know. Uh, but it was wonderful. And also his, his pass, his assist on the second goal as well was wonderful. So I know that we've been kind of critical of him. I, I guess we've been critical of him on this podcast. I don't think we've really like ripped him to shreds. I think we've kind of expected a little more I think we've said that that maybe he should be playing a different position or maybe he, he could be more productive if they put him on the wing or something like that but he's he's been he's been really good lately so credit uh where credit is due all right Baxter you want to take this first question no you don't all right um let me see here Kyle uh Kyle Branson sorry I didn't I didn't find you the other night man I uh, got stuck in the locker room uh, with Sugarman flat out saying we aren't going to compete with the top teams, what motivation do fans have to renew their tickets? Well, they don't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You tell me. I mean, you guys are the fans. I don't. 
If I heard that, again, put those words in somebody else's mouth. If I heard that from Jeffrey Lurie, why the fuck would I want to go go down to the link? Um, but I don't know. Maybe some pe- maybe they win the Open Cup and maybe you get Champions League soccer at, at Talent Energy Stadium. Maybe Ernst Tanner makes an interesting signing or something like that. So so maybe despite what Jay says, maybe there's still going to be some interest um, f- for other reasons. Um Rich Ransom says, is Union Revs really a rivalry? And there's a picture here of uh, that says Liberty Rivalry, and it's got a Union logo and a Revs logo. That's the first I've ever heard of this, uh, but I'd say no, it's not a rivalry. Not at all. Um, Joe Tanzi, who works for a rival podcast, um, he says, has Dave Zeitlin taken back control of his Twitter account from Baxter yet? Now, so Dave was in the in the press box the other night. Dave, um, one of his friends uh, was there, and he had his like uh, kid with him or something, so he let his kid do a tweet, and I think it said something like, hi, I like soccer, or <laughs> something very, uh, very straightforward like that. Uh, Benjaminio said, why does Jonathan Tannenwald get the first question at press conferences and why is he granted more questions than others? That is a great question, you know? Um, (laughs) Well, JT's often, I mean, he's always eager to ask something and they're good questions. I mean, I thought he and Matt were great the other day. Um, And the reason he's granted more questions is because if you get yourself in first, uh, then when you cycle through everybody else, you're up next again. You know, it's like the fantasy football draft, you know, um, or not fantasy football. It's like the NFL draft. You know, you pick first, everybody else picks, and then when it comes back to 33, okay, well, guess who's up? Jonathan Tannenwald's picking 33 again. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just they, they, call, they call on people, which is different from the Sixers. The Sixers, we all just shout over each other like a bunch of idiots, which is the same thing the Eagles and everything else. But because it's a smaller contingent, at Talon that they'll, you know, uh, Ryan Schwebfinger and Matt Bodifer, it'll say, you know, John, and then we'll go to, uh, Matt to George, and then we'll go to, um, you know, Matt Ralph or something like that. Right. Um, Kyle with another one here. How much do you think Sugarman was thinking? Oh shit. Another goalkeeper question. I mean, I don't think he dodges any of these at all. He, he's not like an asshole with it. He's not dismissive and he's not making stuff up either. He's not saying, well, we're working hard and we're sp- spending the required money. He's not defiant. You know, he doesn't give you some Nick Sikiewicz kind of stuff up there. I mean, so I, I can't, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't dislike the guy and I don't hate the guy. And I, I think he's been at least fair in how he answers questions and how he does media. You know, I think his flaws are, are, you know, obvious. And I've, I've talked about that, but I, I but he's always, Every time that we talked to him, I, I felt like he was always fair with me. Um, he never, like, he doesn't text any of us and say, hey, you're full of shit, or why did you write write this or write that or whatever. So I, I can at least respect that. I don't think he's ever tried to, like, dodge or BS his way out of anything. Um, do you think the new sporting director will have a better impact than Ernie did? Do you think he will insist on more money to scouting and recruitment uh, other than just sending Albright to coach another country? Well, I mean, I hope he does, yeah. Because uh, as it stands, the, the scouting department now is Ernst Tanner, Chris Albright, and the two um, interns that were promoted to do like to to help with them. They were in analytics and other stuff like that. So, uh, but I, I mean, one of the questions I get a lot is is and maybe somebody asked this, and if they already did, I'm sorry, I'm going to answer it now. Um, you know, people say, are we scouting South America? You know, are they looking in Argentina and Brazil and uh, Chile and Peru and wherever the hell, uh, Colombia? I don't know. Uh, I, I think that obviously, you know, there's a track record of those players having success in MLS. And it's, it, it, it's, you know, my, my position is why would you not scout there? 
Um, but if Ernst Tanner's connections are in Germany and Austria and Europe or whatever, I mean, there's plenty of capable players over there as well. It's it's not even necessarily about where they're they're from. It's just about getting them right, you know. And the problem is that the margin for error is so small because the union have to hit on every single signing 100%, which is, you know, nobody hits on every signing perfectly. I mean, there's flops at Liverpool and Man City and Manchester United and whatnot. So the thing is that they just don't have cash to, to the extra cash to throw around. You know, Manchester United can just eat a shitty transfer, right, or just loan the guy out right away, and the union can't afford to do that. So to me, it's less about where they're, where they're getting him from. It's just getting it right in the first place. I mean, Dogecoll looks like a player, right? He looks like a decent number 10, and they got him from Europe. They didn't have to go to to, uh, to South America or Central America to get it, which is stereotypically where most of those good number 10s come from. So, um, Craig says, how will the union compete with future big markets like Cincinnati, Sacramento, and Sas- Saskatoon? Uh, yeah, it is kind of demoralizing, isn't it, that Cincinnati goes out and signs Fernando Adi and uh, somebody else, right? I can't remember. Um, making moves and looks like they're serious, and Philly is being Philly. Um you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how they compete with them. They, you know, uh, obviously you heard Matt and I just say that the innovation or whatever isn't really the way to do it. You just have to spend money, you know. Greg Troxell says, who would win in a fight between Ernst and Ernie? I don't know, but I find it funny that um, they, they're both, their first names are both similar. Uh, I think Ernie's got a got a mean side to him, probably from his playing days, you know, but I think he secretly could, um, he could get in the octagon and, and do some damage. Uh, Union Steel Rumors said, should Union start Burke at striker and Sapong at right wing going forward? Seems to work well the few times they've done it. I've always been a, a proponent of that. I've always felt that CJ has, has been a good right winger, uh, specifically off the bench, though. Um, you know, if Elsino was healthy, I'd probably start him on the right wing. No, you know, I'd start on the right wing is Alejandro Bedoya. Because I think the thing is, you see, like, the game the other night, he has good attacking qualities. He has good offensive qualities, you know? Um, but you don't get to see a lot of that because he they're using him in a way where he has a lot of defensive responsibility as well. And if you trusted, I mean, Jim seems to trust Warren Carval. He doesn't trust Derek Jones, but I think either one of those guys could do the job that Bedoya is doing. And then the question is, is Bedoya better than Epps, uh, Pico, Akam, or Epps, Akam, Herbers, Ilsenio, the group of right wingers that you have? I mean, if you're telling me what your best 11 is right now, I mean, I think it just makes too much sense for Bedoya to play on the right. You know, I know, I know it's like a dead horse with with me saying that, but I, I haven't changed my mind on that one bit. All right, Brian says, if Andrew Wanger scores the winning penalty in a shout, God. If Andrew Wanger scores the winning penalty in a shootout, the union should just quit existing because they aren't winning anything ever, right? Yeah, yeah, that would be the ultimate thing, right? Well, I mean, remember, too, they went down there and they lost on a Christian Maidana free kick, you know, so... Um, you know, and, and they got a, they won and yeah, they won in Houston. So they have some confidence going down there knowing that they can win there, but they got a bullshit red card that was rescinded. You know, it's not to take anything away from, from the performance down there because I thought they played pretty well down there, but you know, yeah, it might be different if that red card doesn't happen. So whatever, uh, Paul blessing says Sugarman mentioned that they've been in capital acquisition, but now want to focus some of that energy into the first team. Is that lip service to counterbalance the Waterloo talk? Yeah, I think it is. Any chance first team spending will increase this offseason? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've always kind of had this theory that they had to put money into one time only projects, you know, the training fields and the training facility and stuff like that, uh, that otherwise could have been used for other things. So now that they don't have to build this infrastructure anymore, theoretically, the, the budget 
that money goes, the money that was used for that on these one-time projects could theoretically go back into the academy or the senior team. But it doesn't seem like that's been the case so far uh, when it should be. Uh, Rich Ellis says, will it do <laughs> will Marisa do be back in time for the Open Cup final? Just kidding. Did Elliott play his way into the starting 11 with a strong outing versus Chicago? Seems fair he'd get a shot after losing his job to minor injury. Uh, yeah, listen, I mean, Jack Elliott is not – I had this discussion with somebody the other night, um, probably Ryan Bright when he was sitting there watching eSports highlights during the game. Uh, but, uh, it, it, I mean, Elliott didn't come out – he's not going through a sophomore slump. I mean, he's not going through a Rosenberry or a Josh Yara situation here. I mean, they like what they have in Mark McKenzie and Austin Trusty. And, um, you know, yeah, minor injury, he was just squeezed out. And it's kind of like what happened to Jay Simpson last year where – he wasn't taken off the field for form. You know, I mean, he, he bruised a lung and started coughing up blood, scoring a goal for this team. And then when CJ came back in, um, he was playing so well, they couldn't take him off the field. So that's all it is. I, I don't – I think they – I think they're good with all three of those center backs. McKenzie's made some bad mistakes this year, but you expect it. Um, you know, Elliott, I thought, has, has been fine. You know, I think you're fine with any, any of those guys. Uh, Keith says, do you have any thoughts on exactly what's going on with David Akam? Supporting KS formation, motivation. Uh, yeah, it's all of it. I mean, he just it looks like he has very little ideas going forward, dribbling straight into guys. Sometimes he'll beat one dude and he won't know what to do with the, the, with the second. He just looks like he's just um, – it, it looks mental to me. It looks like he's overthinking it. You know, and, and like I said on that Chicago goal when he scored the game winner, he didn't – he looked like he didn't think twice. He knew what he had to do and he just went straight to goal. So – uh, I, I don't know. It could be all those things, but I just I don't think he's playable right now. Uh, Mike says, uh, we're headed for a future where the Union get embarrassed in a CONCACAF Champions League round of 16 matchup against Olympia or Herediano, <laughs> aren't we? Well, that's assuming they get it, get, get there. I mean, you could be looking at, like, a group where they have to play, like, a, um, you know, Tigres and uh, – Saprisa or something like that. You know, could you imagine that Ta Talent Energy Stadium, Philadelphia Union versus uh, you know Club America in uh, the Concacaf Champions League? That would be that would be uh, some shit, wouldn't it? Uh, Vince Smith says is Sapong trade bait at this point. Um, I don't know, but he should be. I don't know who's taking on that salary though. It's a problem. Um, I don't know who needs a striker really anyway. So. Uh, MK27, if the Union Academy is so wildly successful in the coming years that they're able to sneak up on clubs with good academies and the finances and ambition to buy higher-end talent, won't the opposition just adopt a similar academy model? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a – I mean, youth, youth development's not a secret. It's either you develop good players or you don't. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, there's different techniques or different ways you go about it, but I don't I – don't, I'd have to go talk to Tommy Wilson and Chris Brewer and all these people and say, are you doing something special that other people are not doing? And I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But, again, this goes to the bell curve thing that Matt and I were talking about because you, you can't just assume that you're the only ones improving and getting better at other things. The Red Bull Academy is what it is. The Atlanta Academy is what it is. It's not just like, you know, we're the best academy of all time because we put five homegrowns out in the last year or whatever the hell. Everybody else is getting better too. So... um uh, B says, why should I care? Why can't I not care? Oh, because you're a true Philadelphia sports fan. That's why. Uh, Ezra says, Ezra, it was nice meeting you the other day, by the way. And thanks um, thanks again to the SOB Tallahassee guys uh, for sending those beers up. I will drink any beers that anybody sends me. Hint, hint, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, 
Correct me if I'm wrong, but Jay said we can't buy three to four, three, four, five superstars. And we have to develop them. Does this mean we can expect at least one or two superstars? Am I reading between too much between the lines? Well, no. I mean, I mean, they went out and they they got Dogecoin and Bedoya and Akam. Okay, so like for for more or less, that that is what they're trying to do, is it not? Like homegrown of uh, guys, some draft picks, and then trying to add a couple stars here and there and do the Red Bull thing. I think they're I think they're trying to do that, and imagine what this this team could be if Akam and Sapong could score. I mean, they'd probably be in fourth place right now. So it's funny how the margins are like, you know, if the, if if one one guy or two guys or one and a half guys even start playing to how good they really are supposed to be, we're not sitting here doing the woe is woe is me Philly bullshit, you know. Uh, Teppo's dad says uh, percent chance they eke into the playoffs. Well, I mean, the the teams from five to eight are not world beaters, you know. They could easily the the, the best case scenario for them is like the fifth seed and then maybe get a crack at Columbus in the wild card. But you know, if it's six, three and they got to go to one of the New Yorks, I don't, I, I don't see it happening. You know, uh, Seth Fink says, what's the best beer to drink while watching the union? Well, any beer, anything is good to drink. Any alcohol is good to drink when you're watching the union. Um, but my, I've, I've been big into evil genius lately. And, um, somebody from some party who was over here not long ago dropped off or left like a, pack a uh, six pack of that goose uh goose island summer stuff which is pretty good i've been drinking a lot of wheat uh wheat beer lately i don't know why uh like belgian whites and wheats and stuff like that um john turley says based on history is it reasonable to think that cj and Akam would combine for 50 to 20 15 to 20 goals this year uh, yeah i mean that's that's what i was just saying it's <laughs> you know if those guys actually hold up their end of the bargain we're not having these discussions you know they've they've been really really disappointing this year i I don't know what what more there is to say about it you know pico i think has been good and he's shown some moments um but yeah i mean two two out of the front four are are they're not getting anything out of it you know Uh, dan says realistically realistically where are our uh, what are our chances against houston you know, I would assume we won't be getting another soft reg. I spend money to travel down there just to probably be disappointed. I mean, it's, you know, just to say you did it. Yeah. I mean, what it's, it's priceless. If you go down there and you say you were, you were there when the union won their first trophy of all time, <laughs> you know, I find something else to do. While you're down. I don't know. Go see the Houston Rockets, but go see James Harden and Carmelo Anthony play too. You know, go, go to, uh, visit a brewery or something. Go, uh, go, go, see the neighborhood where UGK grew up or something. I don't know. Make, make something more out of it. So you're not, you know, so it's, it's not just hinging entirely on the game. Um, John Turley says, not <laughs> nacho fries, defend yourself. Well, I don't have to defend myself for shit. I mean, Taco Bell's great. Um, the nacho fries, the, you know, the thing with the nacho fries is that they, they don't, they came back into the rotation like way too early. Like normally they cycle through different specials at Taco Bell and then you get the, like the $5 box that gives you like some other stuff in there. It's like the special item that's on rotation. Then you get like the, like a Chalupa and a, a Dorito taco or something. Right. Uh, but nacho fries were just in circulation like a couple months ago. So they went, they went like nacho fries, um, ro- rolled chicken tacos. And then they, they went to like the naked chicken Chalupa or something like that. And then they came right back to nacho fries. I don't, I don't think it had been out of ro- rotation for long enough. You know, it's like that, that song on the radio, like it's like a Carly Rae Jepsen or whatever. Like you take her out of rotation for a little bit and then imagine like putting like 
call me maybe right back on the the radio like two months after you just took it off people don't want it aren't ready for carly ray again you know so the way i feel about carly ray jepson is the way i feel about nacho fries Steve says, can you talk a little about uh, Reading United going to the championship and what that says for a future pipeline? Honestly, I wish I could, and I'm sorry I didn't really do anything on this, but Reading's kind of out of the wheelhouse at this point. But but no, they, they've always been doing great stuff up there, you know? Um, the, the pipeline, I mean, the problem with Reading is that it's, it's always been, I mean, they're not technically... Technically, they're not like part of the union system. Remember, it's you, you can't pull guys directly from Reading uh, into like Bethlehem Steel and whatever. I mean, they're they're technically an independent thing, and that was always a problem when you had guys like like Keegan Rosenberry and Ray Gaddis playing for Reading. Like they would scout those guys and they would know uh, that they liked them, that they wanted them, but they'd still have to like draft them, for instance. They couldn't sign them as a home, as a homegrown player or whatever the hell. So um, if there's a way to to make that to add them to the pipeline, like a direct part of the pipeline, that would be perfect, you know, but from now it's Academy steel, whatever. Uh, but they keep a close eye on Reading and they have a good relationship with them. But, but no, shout out to, to all those guys up there for having a great season. And uh, the union were definitely paying attention. Of course they were, you know, so maybe you see some of those guys end up, um, end up on the senior team in the near future. I just don't, I'm, you know, I'm all Sixers and Eagles and other bullshit now. So I can't, I can only, all I can handle at this point is, is at least just trying to, uh, keep head above water with the with the union and do like one podcast a week or something. So, uh, fear and loathing in Chester, PA. When McKenzie plays, we seem to run a really high line and hard press. However, when Elliot comes in, the back line has to drop a little deeper due to lack of speed. That's correct. Uh, but Elliot offers the ability to play over the top. Uh, which style do you think suits the team and the attack better? Uh, it's it's true. All that is true, and it's a very good point. Um, that fear and loathing in Chester points out. Um. You know, I, I don't know because the, the problem is is Madunian then because when you play that high line, um, McKenzie and and Trusty are not very accurate with those long balls. They probably shouldn't be playing him in the first place. They should just be rolling it over to Madunian and let him do his thing. Uh, but then, yeah, you, when 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 there's a turnover, you know, Madunian is not reliable in transition defense. When you're starting, your your you know, you, when you're playing a higher line, everybody else is pushed up further. Bedoya has longer to go in transition as well. So I, I think they're better playing, playing deeper, honestly. Um, but again, when, when, if you do that with McKenzie, he doesn't have the chops that Elliot does. So it's like a catch 22, you know? Um, I think they had, they've had a good thing going with McKenzie and trusty and, um, and Madunian, and you just got you just got to work through it. You got to get to the point where they become better passers out of the back. One of the things when you play center back is that my eyes light up whenever I see that big diagonal open up. I can't. I usually can't hit it for shit. But it takes a lot of self discipline to just say, "Look, I'm not going to try the fancy, crazy Vince Nogueira kind of pass. I'm just going to hit a five yarder to to the defensive mid and let him do it anyway." Because def- de- defenders, yeah, passing the ball is more important as a center back these days when you're building back to front. Um, but when you have somebody who's who has unique talents like Madunian does, and he's not like an Ozzy Alonso or a Diego Char or something like that, you put the ball at his feet. You know, it's a good question. Um, man, there's a lot of them today. Jesus. Um, Mitch says Corey Burke is scoring Alberg like rates. How long do you think? Um, how long would he have to maintain that pace to prove he's the guy? And what do you like and dislike about his game? Um, I mean, he's a little hesitant. His first touch still needs some work, and I think he could control some some, some balls a little bit better. But he just has more instincts instinct for goal. Um, CJ just doesn't really have that killer instinct. You know, he's not going to turn a face and get a shot off him. You know, I think Corey's positioning is pretty good, and he's he's proved that he's been able to finish 
um, you know, the few looks that he's been getting. Um, how long would he have to maintain that? I don't know. I think he should be the guy now. I, I think he's the guy right now. It's just as much about and it's just as much about CJ being bad as as Corey being in form right now. Uh, Nicholas says, based on his spells in Europe, did Tanner favor a style of play? Will he continue with the four two three one? Yeah, I don't really know. I have to go and study that. Uh, I don't know how they played at Hoffenheim. I want to say they were like a four three three team. I think they were one of those like four three three like pressing like active German teams, but I really don't know. Um, it's a good question. I'll have to look into that. Matt says, any examples of ownership groups getting phased out by leagues for not keeping up uh, soccer or otherwise? Uh, Chivas USA. But that was kind of for weird reasons with, like, the Mexican players and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I mean, look, MLS could really come in, uh, come at, come after Jay Sugarman after expansion is done and say, look, you're, you're not, you know, you're holding the league down now. But I don't, I don't think anything happens until expansion is done, especially because he's on the committee, you know. And then his investment – flat lines you know because his his, the value of the union does not go up simply based on expansion fees for the new teams that are coming in and that kind of hits hits a flat level you know so i think then you would see jay consider selling and mls um you know maybe putting some pressure on him so um matt says since there are a lot of snarky reads about jay's statements i'd be interested in a positive take does it comment does his comment indicate a commitment to spending a bit on something special each year? Is it something special, the team philosophy? Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's no evidence of that. I mean, like, what what special would you would you spend on? Would you would you try to find the world's best set piece specialist and pay him like a million dollar salary? Uh, do you go get the best? sports science guy in the world or do you hire like the um philadelphia eagles um training you know strength training guy i I don't i don't know i mean i could if they identify so i I just think it's it's not really an issue in the first because i don't know what you're going to identify that other that other people aren't doing at this point um but again it's a good question i wish i wish i had a better answer for it um rick mcgovern says i have nothing uh well good because i don't need to hear from you today um, <laughs> and James says, any truth to the rumors that SAP plus Hoffenheim owners looking to buy the unit, uh, looking to buy the union? Uh, is this that Dietmar Hop stuff I keep hearing about or whatever? I, I don't, I don't know. That rumor's been floating around there. The guy who's got some kind of something or other in Newtown who is also like the owner of Hoffenheim. I, I don't, I don't think there's anything to it. Um, Jay has been approached to sell the union in the past, but but he's has not budged. So I. I don't think it really matters at this point unless, um, you know, like uh, some oil shake of Russian oligarch came up to him and said, I'll give you like 40 trillion rupees or whatever the fuck for your team. And then maybe, of course, you would sell. But um, uh, two more, two more. Uh, Rob says, should we expect hope to see more of Sapong in the attacking right mid position? Yeah, I mean, that was was answered earlier. I I like him off the bench in that. Like I said, I'd start Bedoya. if I'm going, you know, front to back right now, I, I'd have Corey Burke, I'd have Bedoya on the right, I'd have Pico on the left, Doge call, Derek Jones, and Madunian. That would that would be my front six. Um, you know, I think I think that that front six scores goals and has enough defense in it. You know, call me crazy, whatever. Um, Alex Armstrong says fourth pick uh, PPR league, assuming Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley are gone, I take the Eagles defense right. Uh, an afternoon radio guy said they will outscore some defenses. Uh, fourth pick? Your, your Eagles defense? No, 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 no. 
Like, no. No, you don't take a defense that high. All right. That'll do it for your fantasy football podcast. I'm um, – who's the guy who does it for ESPN? Matt Be- I'm Matthew Berry for ESPN. Thanks for listening.